This is day two in the bunker, and welcome back to the Dunker Bunker podcast. All right, this is part two of my Salt Lake City Summer League thoughts. Uh, Hopefully my last episode without a guest for the basketball part for a little while, at least, because I, I have to imagine listening to just my voice it's boring as frick so yeah that i have a guest lined up that's very exciting um well one thing i when i was listening to this sometimes when i get kind of heated or angry or i feel really passionately about a topic my voice gets kind of high-pitched uh i promise i'm not having voice cracks it's just something that happens when i talk about something that i actually that like I have a really strong opinion on. It's not voice cracks, I promise. So if you're thinking it is, stop thinking that. Um, also, don't be intimidated by the runtime. 25 minutes of it at the end is the variety hour. And this time, I do have, I do have a guess for that. So be, be very excited. But it, yes, if, you're just, if you just want to listen to the basketball, great. But also not great. Listen to the whole thing. It's it's perfect uh, media. So yeah, without further ado, let's let's get into things. All right. Next up, I say we talk about the, the Memphis Grizzlies. They got a lot of a lot of interesting pieces, but even more so because I got to the front of the the tunnel high five line for the Grizzlies. And I, I did. I brought my notebook for them to sign, but they said they can't sign blank pieces of paper, which is fine. It, it makes sense. It made me mad at the time, but no, that 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 does make sense. Uh but yeah, I'm basically we're I'm homies with all these dudes now, which is which is just sick. Uh first, Santi Aldama. He, it'll be hard to talk about him in a not biased way because he's made me mad as a jazz fan a couple times during those games his screening was kind of dirty like he he hit these dudes pretty hard and went over the back a couple times so I was I lost my non-biased my unbiased uh my unbiased title because I was booing my heart out watching Santi Aldama. So take some of this with a grain of salt. He didn't, he's not the most athletic. I won't say he didn't seem like the most athletic. He's not the most athletic. And it showed he, a lot of his plays, they didn't seem very labored. He still got to the spots he wanted to for the most part. But I don't know how that translates against like better competition. He has a lot of talent. A lot of fluidity at that height, but I don't know if I a hundred percent by his bias translation. A friend of mine said he seems lazy, which I think in the summer league at least I kind of agreed with. Maybe he's just slow though. Uh yeah. He was he was an interesting watch for sure. Uh, and, uh, next Kennedy Chandler is a, a very interesting prospect to talk about at Summer League because 
the positive of his game, they sh- they show you you would you know what he's good at based at summer league, but I think a lot of the negatives also reared their head at these games. It's really hard for me to bet on guys who are that short, which hurts me to say I am five foot six. I say I'm five foot seven though, but in order to be good and short at the NBA level, you have to just be an exceptional talent. Either like really good at defense, Jose Alvarado showed that with his defense, he can make up for being so short. Because that is the problem with being short, is you're going to get picked on on defense. The NBA is constantly hunting for mismatches. Or just like an exceptionally talented ball handler, creator, Trey Young type of player. And I don't know if Kennedy Chandler is that. I really I like his advantage creation because of his his standstill burst is around the top of the class. But there are enough flaws that I would be able to look over if he was just like three, four inches taller, but because of his height really do matter. There are times when it feels He's just seeing the next step of the play and not looking for the open man. Like when he's running a pick and roll, there were a couple times where he got he got the pass to the roll man and it was a fine enough pat fine oof, fine enough pass, but felt like there was an open swing to the to the corner shooter if he wanted it. And I don't know if he didn't see it. I don't know if the game plan is to get to the paint. But sometimes it does feel like his, his, his eyes aren't always open to the possibilities that he could create as a playmaker, which, which isn't great when you're that short. You have a very, very low margin for error when you're that, that small. But he got to the paint whenever he wanted. He was a freaky vertical athlete as well. He got some blocks that were just like, jaw-dropping uh, his defense was, was was solid against summer league players to be fair but his hands were quick he he wasn't a liability on that end at this stage he looked comfortable with his shot which is a big time there were times he didn't seem confident with it last year at Tennessee but I I liked Kennedy Chandler before the draft, I had him just outside of my first round. And this reaffirmed that because I saw his strengths and weaknesses all over again. But, yeah, it's really hard to be good and short because Tremont Waters was excellent in Summer League for the most part. He destroyed the Jazz in the third quarter of the last game, I think, where he got like four quick steals. And it just reminded me of the Jazz teams of old just getting whooped after building up a big lead. And it, yeah, but he's just not going to make it because I have no idea how tall he is. I'll pull that up really quick. Um, but because of that height, he would have to be just so exceptional as, a, as an on-ball like creation option because he's five foot ten that's just not not quite good enough hopefully six foot is good enough for 
Kennedy, Kennedy Chandler. Uh, next up, another dude who I thought was super interesting at Summer League was uh, Vince Williams Jr., who I had, I think, around 22 before the draft this year. He got drafted mid-late 40s, I think. And I just don't understand that in the slightest because Vince Williams Jr. is going to start in the NBA for a long time, I think. He is everything that an NBA team is looking for in a starting wing. Uh, He locks up on defense, long arms. He's an, an event creator on defense, which is big time. He's just everywhere on the court. He uses his strength and his long arms to make stuff happen where like other players, they'd make a a timely rotation and the play would kind of be shut off for the offense. But when Vince Williams makes that same rotation, he's like poking the ball loose or he's blocking a shot. And then his team gets that advantage on the offensive end because of his event creation on defense, and it showed in summer league. Uh, I think probably outside of Chet, maybe the most impactful defender at the Salt Lake City Summer League, which is really impressive considering some of the other dudes that were there. Like Paul Reed, he's another dude who'd be a candidate for that spot. Xavier Tillman. But I think I would give it to, to Vince Williams. Because of his on-ball and off-ball prowess. Uh, on offense, the picture is like not quite as perfect. But he did his job and so quick as a connective passer. Uh, which is... like Look at Mikal Bridges, who goes beyond the 3-and-D label to something that brings his team just a ton of value. I would say Tony Snell is a 3 and D player. Mikal Bridges is 3 and D plus. Because his connective passing and his ability to do a little bit off the dribble is what unlocks the, like a large part of his team's offense. And by connective passing, I mean like you get the ball in the corner and your options are dribble, pass, shoot. And if you're going to do any of them, you better decide really quick. And that's what Vince Williams does. His connective passing, if he sees an open guy, it's in his hand for a fraction of a second before it is leaving to that other player quickly and accurately. And that showed in summer league. We didn't get to see any of his pick-and-roll stuff, which I expected. I liked it at VCU, but I didn't think it was ever going to be an option in the NBA. But we did see his relocating. I thought his three-point shot looked fine. It wasn't going in a ton, but I liked it. Good form. Always looked like a shot that could go in, which I can't say about everyone there. Like I was holding my breath every time Bruno Cabocolo shot the three ball. But when Vince Williams shot, I'm like, all right, good shot. That's a good possession for for the Grizzlies. They got to... They got a steal in the second round with Vince, man. I'm telling you, buy all the Vince Williams Jr. stock you can. He 
back to my tunnel stories, uh, I think he was really surprised when he knew someone in Salt Lake City knew his name. So when I yelled, like, hey, hey, Vince, like, nicely, uh, he, he looked back to me. He, he did seem kind of shocked, and he, he, he gave me a high five, which was, which was sick. But, yeah, hopefully he, he remembers me. Hopefully he's listening right now. Isn't that crazy to think about? This same podcast that you're listening to is probably being listened to by Vince Williams Jr., so future, future NBA starter. Something to think about. Uh, sticking on the Williams, Zaire Williams, out of Stanford. He looked a lot like the Zaire Williams of the past. Kind of a loose handle, but impressive shot making, impressive passing, although a bit inconsistent. Sometimes he missed the open guy, I thought. Maybe he's reading the second, third lines of help defense better than I am, but it feels like there were some looks he could have done, but didn't. Uh... And impressive defense as well. He uses his length well. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see him like starting for the Grizzlies pretty quick here just because he fits into what they are trying to do. He can sit back, sit in the corner, hit threes. I trust him to do that. He can run in transition with jaw. He can use his good athlete- good athleticism. But... Jaw can't be the like the focal point of every play. I think he can create shots for himself and his teammates. And not like an all-star level, but a level high enough that needs to be respected by the defense. Yeah. I would not be shocked to see him starting in games where Dylan Brooks is, is hurt or something. I think he might be the next guy up at that wing spot, especially with Kyle Anderson gone. Something something to look at next year. I don't have a ton to say about the rest of the, the Grizzlies. I mean, Xavier Tillman looked like he was just too good to be there. Uh, he was manhandling a lot of the centers uh, being played against him, which was... I guess encouraging to see, but also expected to see because he was a legit NBA player last year. He was playing legit minutes. He should be their their backup center. I think, personally, that he's better than Brandon Clark. I Maybe he's a lower upside because he's not quite the athlete. Uh, and he's not quite as tall, I don't think. It's probably just like an inch, but... Yeah, he... Too good to be there. Interesting that they sent him. Uh, Jake LaRavia did his job. He was good at everything. Uh, played hard defense. Re- relocated well for threes. Pretty looking shot. He looks pretty big in person. His shoulders aren't like the broadest, but he, he's strong. It's pretty obvious to tell. Speaking of big in person, David Roddy. Um, He's... A large human being who has a lot of off-the-triple craft, but it felt like his usage wasn't nearly high enough for for Summer League. I don't know. I would be giving some of Zaire Williams' looks to David Roddy to see what he can do 
with the ball in his hands. But he functioned well, and that's really all all you can ask for. Uh, I wish they played EJ Onu more. I really liked him coming out of Shawnee State. But uh, what do you do? When he did play, the... Uh, I think it was on the second day the people sitting with me were just saying that he looks like an NBA player, which is true. He His arms are really long, and he's really strong, and he runs really fast, and he's tall. And I don't understand why he hasn't gotten more looks yet. A lot. I guess some of the fundamentals aren't entirely there, but I would be... I would be playing EJ Onu a lot more. I would not have played Xavier Tillman. We know what Xavier Tillman is. I would be giving those minutes to EJ Onu because we don't know what he is. We play, He played a D2, and he was really good in D2, and he's an athlete, and he can supposedly shoot. I think that's what Summer League should be forced to discover players that we don't understand yet. We understand... Xavier Tillman, we don't understand EJ Onu, and you're not going to play EJ Onu in the regular season to begin to understand him, so I think it was just a bit of a missed missed opportunity, I guess. Uh, a lot of the guys left didn't really stick out to me um, on the Grizzlies, but of course I need to talk about the one, uh, the only Kenny Lofton Jr., who is just like a freaky athlete but not a traditional freaky athlete but he's just better at stuff than other dudes his coordination is really really good and you can tell that whatever sport he decided to play he would be really really good at it he's just naturally gifted that way and you don't you don't see that very often but that's why he was take he's just so He's taking advantage of Chet because of the low center of gravity, like I was saying before. But also that just immense natural talent. He his passing was was great. He looked like a legit post hub in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. Uh his his defense, he was positioned well. He didn't get like visibly fatigued when he did play, which I think was big time. But, yeah, I, I buy a shot. It was smooth, a lot smoother than a lot of the big men shooting at, at Summer League. I'll get into that a little bit later, talking about Paul Reed and Taco Fall. But his shot looked smooth, so he's going to get another chance. Uh, he's constantly performed better than I've anticipated be it at Summer League or at Louisiana Tech or uh, the U19 USA uh, FIBA World Cup or the the pre-draft combines and workouts. He has constantly done better than I've expected, and I will not let that happen anymore. I will not let an athlete of that caliber like get by me, I guess, because he's legit. He's going to get his shot. I hope he doesn't lose... All of his weight, I think that gives him a solid competitive edge. But I think he's just good enough at basketball that no matter what weight he gets to, 
you'll find a way to contribute. Yeah, very fun to watch Kenny Lofton. Very appreciative that he stayed to take a picture with me. So shout out Kenny Lofton. His name is safe in the Dunker Bunker. All right, so we've talked about two of the four teams so far, so we'll take a quick little halftime break. Uh, And during this halftime break, I think I'm going to talk about some of the halftime breaks at Summer League because they had some interesting ways to keep the fans engaged. And I had a good time with them, but there was one in particular that stuck with me enough that I think I have to tell you about it. Uh, I mean, it stuck with me enough that I'm talking about it instead of talking about basketball players. It was on the, the big Jumbotron, and it was a find-the-difference game that they were having you do. And it got oddly like politically charged. There was some biting social commentary that I was not expecting because the main, like, the most obvious difference there was... Like, it was a picture of a player shooting, shooting the ball. But one of the ladies in the crowd, in the background of the picture, in one version was not wearing a mask, but in the other, they, like, put a mask on her. Which is, I mean, it's not crazy. It's just, they didn't have to go to get as political as they did with it, even if it wasn't anything insane. It was just something that, I don't know, took me aback a little bit. But yeah, that I thought was worthwhile enough to to tell my my podcast listeners. Because I'm still I'm still thinking about it. Who who greenlit that decision? But yeah. We should probably start talking about basketball players again. I think next we'll talk about the Philadelphia 76ers and they had a group of dudes who I am confident will be NBA players like I think they were NBA players before this but this reaffirmed that belief and I think I'll start with the most surprising is Cassius Winston really really impressed me out of of Michigan State I don't know how long he's been in the league but one thing that I look for in a backup point guard, because I think that is all his upside allows him to be, is a backup point guard, is can they run a pick and roll as many times as the coach tells them to and have it still be effective? Because uh, guys like Shelvin Mack uh, and Raul Neto, a couple couple jazz names for, for the jazz fans, that's what they did. When they were backup point guards, they just ran the pick and roll again and again and again. And they were effective enough backup point guards because of it. That is all they needed to do to bring positive value to the team. And I'm very confident Cassius Winston can do that. He ran the pick and roll with Charles Bassey so well. And I don't have kind of reason to say this, I guess. I can't explain why, but it felt... Like the majority of the credit for running that pick and roll should go to how crafty and accurate Cassius was. Um, his passes were crisp and he used the screen well. Like one of my pet peeves is when players call for the screen but don't 
like use it. Like if you're going to use the screen, reject it is that's one option. But if you're actually going to like go around the player setting the screen for you, go around him, like brush up against his shoulder because otherwise you're not getting as much potential value out of that action as you could. And it really makes me mad when you don't, but Cassius Winston, he uses the screen right, and I really appreciate it. He felt like a veteran out there. Uh, and I think he is older than a lot of the dudes, but that's still something to, to take note of. Um, so yeah, I, I think Cassius Winston, maybe not in Philly, because Philly has a couple dudes. I think Max is going to be taking a lot of the the point guard reps, I think Harden will. Probably forgetting someone, but I wouldn't be shocked if Springer does a little bit. He felt more to me like a 2-3-4 at Summer League than a point guard, but he still has some point guard instincts. So I don't know if backup point guard is in the cards for Winston in Philly, but somewhere he will carve out a role as an NBA player. Uh, the next dude is Isaiah Joe. He he looked like an NBA dude. I expect him to get minutes in Philly. Really good shooter. Uh, uh, did his job on defense. I wouldn't say he was a huge plus, but he was in the right spots consistently, which is all you really need to be. That's all, that's all you need to do on defense when you have the shooting versatility that he has. I think... His movement shooting potential is around, like not quite Duncan Robinson, but that that same vein, which is huge. J.J. Redick in Philadelphia was quietly one of the most important dudes for a long time because of his ability to go around screens and constantly be bringing space to to everyone else on offense who need the balls, who who needs the ball in their hand uh, more often. And I think Joe can do a little bit of that, of that same stuff, especially with Embiid and Harden, who two like hugely ball dominant players. For him to just be taking up attention consistently, running around, I think there's a spot for him in that Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson type of role. Maybe I'm misunderstanding him as a player, but I was very impressed with with Isaiah Joe. And then finally, Paul Reed, B-ball, B-ball Paul. Yeah, he was he was too good to be there. It was obvious the first game where he got 20 points, 15 rebounds, and four steals. Like, his hands, and he's just... His athleticism is weird to talk about. Because when he's running, like, sometimes he can feel a little clunky. But when he has to move on the perimeter, he's so smooth. He's, he's so, laterally, so laterally quick for someone that size. And whew, I, I would be giving him all of the backup center minutes in Philly. Some are saying that he can play a bit of power forward, which I don't see. His shot went in, and he shot it confidently. But, oh, boy, that was an ugly, ugly thing. Only... Only a mother would love how B-Ball Paul's basketball shot looks like. Uh, but he does the things that he needs to do well. He rolls hard 
and he's an active defender. I really wanted the Jazz to get him in the 2020 draft. Uh, he And he panned out a little differently than I thought he would. I saw him more as a wing then. Now I think he's pretty comfortably a big man. But just an obvious NBA player. He was an obvious NBA player last year. Uh, hopefully Doc Rivers finally decides to play him. There's no excuse not to. Give him all the time in the world. Well, all the time in the world is pushing it. Give him the 15 minutes that Joel Embiid is not playing and and let B-Ball Paul cook. I think just you will bring rotational value to your basketball team. I promise you that much. A few other dudes I wanted to talk about on, on Philly. Jaden Springer was my most was the most difficult evaluation evaluation for me at Summer League. Because what he did well, he did so well, but what didn't work really didn't work. He was very off and on as a player. But I'll start with what he did well. His defense was absolutely insane. He moved his feet like a like a madman. And he's so strong. He's a very large human being. I wouldn't be shocked to see him guarding fours pretty consistently next year. Like, Alex Caruso guarded Giannis for spot minutes in uh, the Philly, in the, not, not Philly, the Chicago-Milwaukee series. And Springer isn't, like, he's not the technically savvy defender as Alex Caruso, but I think he's more physically overpowering. And he uses his size really well. His verticality is absolutely insane. He's that one block around the end of the first game, I think, where he caught Tillman's shot like with his chest, like two hands. That was one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen. Just what a feat of athleticism. And that is what that's what you're betting on. Uh and that athleticism showed throughout all of his game. The way he attacked closeouts was so smooth. And his iconic two-foot jumping is, al- is alive and well. He didn't jump off, jump off one foot. But it gave him such strength and body control in the air that I would be upset if it... I, w- I would be very upset if he switched to one-foot jumping. Some of the craziest finishes I've ever seen came in Summer League off of Jane Springer's two-foot leaps because it gives him the balance necessary to contort his body and still have a clear shot at the rim. If he did it off one, I wouldn't be shocked if he was hit off a spot a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if he lost sight of the rim a little bit. But he's just so in control of himself when he jumps off two that I'm very confident that whenever he goes in the air, driving into the paint on offense, it's gonna gonna work out. Uh, I like some of the passing flashes. Not quite like real point guard stuff, but intriguing nonetheless. And again, I, I like the verticality, but this time on his jumper, he gets so high in the air when shooting his little little mid-range pull-up. It's absolutely impossible to block. Uh, 
Same with his Tennessee teammate, Keon Johnson. I was watching the Portland Summer League game a little bit. But that's he did that to take advantage of Kennedy Chandler a couple times. Because Chandler can get up high, but he couldn't make up the the height difference uh, compared to Springer combined with his vertical athleticism. Which, I don't know how often he's going to be going for mid-range pull-ups, considering his current usage on next year's Philly team, but it's just a nice thing to have in the bag. Although, and then we got to get to the bad things as well. There's it's a lot of the same problems that we saw at Tennessee a couple of years ago. He has a pretty loose, I, it's not loose, a very simplistic handle that needs refinement. He doesn't, he can get to his spots well enough, but he's not breaking down his defender with a series of, of dribble moves. When he gets to the paint, it's in transition or off a closeout, but his lack of handle versatility really did hurt him in creating consistent paint touches. Uh, and It showed at the end of the first game when Chandler took his lunch, but, I mean, yeah, that is, is a real problem that I think hinders his point guard potential. I wouldn't hate seeing him at the three or four where he doesn't need as many on-ball reps to be successful but it's a real problem and you could tell in these games and his shooting was just wasn't consistent he was always an impact on games there was no one else on Philly who I always consistently knew they were out there like Jaden Springer because of his defense but the his offensive value f- was not was never consistent because you never knew if the next shot was was going in in fact you could pretty confidently say no which is which is not good he's got to work on that uh i know i say i wouldn't care too much about shooting percentages at, at summer league but when it's accentuating a previously existing flaw it is worth talking about just to show Oh, his shot looks the same. There is a tangible lack of development in that area. So I wouldn't I wouldn't hate for him to play like a Bruce Brown Jr. role. But on the Sixers, I thought Bruce Brown Jr. worked okay with with Harden. So yeah, here's hoping for that. That he can kind of fill that type of type of role. Um Charles Bassey is another dude. On Philly, he was fine. His screening was oddly inconsistent. Like, sometimes he got set pretty well, but sometimes he would, like, stuck his elbows out too much. Sometimes he didn't, like, give the guard a great runway. I don't know. He kind of screamed third-string center to me. Like, a lot of his highlights were unlocked by Cassius Winston. I like Charles Bassey. But I wouldn't play him over over Paul Reed. So maybe he'll get a chance somewhere else. I wouldn't. I would like for him to come to the Jazz. I think he'd start to center. 
right away, but it's too bad to to monitor that uh, development. Tyler Bay, uh, he was a, a guy that I really, really wanted the Jazz to draft and as a boogie draft because I knew the Jazz needed that defensive wing, and he hasn't panned out quite yet, but I think there's a shot for him. Although, shot is an ironic word because his jump shot is goofy looking, and I I don't think it's translatable to the NBA. But everything else, he does pretty well. He's plays strong. When he's going for boards, he is strong. When he's going in the paint, he is strong. Like, He's a he's a force. For whenever whenever he's around the ball, he is a force, which is very very encouraging. That is what that is a trait that you like. Being a force is a good trait. Um. Defense was solid. Got turned around a couple times by quicker ball handlers, but I don't know. I'd feel good putting him on a on a bigger wing, like a Harrison Barnes. I feel very confident with, with Tyler Bay on him. So, I don't know. I don't love his fit in in Philly. I don't think he's on the roster. I think they got him as a as an Exhibit 10. So, I bet he's on the move pretty quick. But, yeah. I was impressed with, with Tyler Bay. Um, a couple quick hits. Uh... Julian Champagny wasn't hitting any jump shots. I don't remember him hitting a jump shot, which is too bad. I was telling everyone that I was sitting with that, oh, you see uh, you see number five? He is a shooter, and he did not shoot. But he moved his feet well on the perimeter. He was a solid positional rebounder. I think he will find a spot again. Bet on the tall, strong, quickish, smart players to find a way in the league some way some way or another and unless I'm forgetting anyone on Philly I think we can oh oh Michael Foster Jr. he again to talk about size which I just love to do talking about size is just my favorite thing uh he is noticeably smaller than he was in the G League which was kind of the talk around the internet but it's interesting to see in person. And it really changes his projection as a prospect because he's no longer the same type of dude. Like, in the G League, I was thinking of him as like a post-up kind of dude, like a roller for the most part, but now I think he can legit be a four. He moved his feet okay. Um, yeah, I was... Very surprised and impressed with, with 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 what Michael Foster did. He was inconsistent. His shot wasn't always falling. Sometimes he seemed a little bit lost out there. But yeah, I don't still don't quite know about his translatability. Because I mean, his best skill is like. I I do like how he can score in isolations, but I don't think he's quite good enough to do that at the NBA level. But he is an interesting long-term bet. And I he's from the G League Ignite, and I really like the G League Ignite. So I hope and I hope they do well. So I, 
by uh, association. I hope Michael Foster Jr. does well. But yeah, he's the last dude I want to talk about on Philly. I think we can move on, move on to the Jazz. All right, time to finish this off with the Utah Jazz, my my team. So it really hurts to say that my team is stinking garbage when it comes to summer league basketball. What what is up with that? But there were some bright spots. I mean, we talked about Jordan Usher. He was the first dude. He is who people are going to talk about when they talk about uh, the, the 2022 Salt Lake City Summer League in the future. He is the name. But the other guy that I really did like was Jonathan Williams out of Buffalo. And he fits into what I want my wings to do. He's He was active defensively. He was playing really hard, not as hard as Jordan Usher because no one can play as hard as Jordan Usher, hashtag Gush for Ush. But he was always running. He knew where he had to be on the court. He... They say he's 6'5 on the box score, but that can't be right. Maybe it's the hair. Speaking of the hair, it looks sick. He pulls off that mustache really well. He's a cool-looking dude. I really like Jonathan Williams, and I need more cool-looking dudes on on the Jazz. Um, but, yeah, they say he's 6'5", so I got sidetracked for a second there. He looks more like 6'6", 6'7", to me. And he uses that size well. He plays bigger than he is. Um, I wouldn't say he's like a lockdown dude, but he's not going to be a negative on defense once he gets his once he gets his bearings. On offense, he's a weird evalu- evaluation because I buy his shot. Like from the corner, he's kind of money, but his touch in the paint is pretty terrible. <sighs> Hopefully he won't be going in the paint too much. Hopefully he sits in the corner and hits a bunch of threes. But yeah, I was impressed with Jonathan Williams. I was happy when the Jazz got him. I uh, you, you can ask some people in my family. I was going on and on about Jonathan Williams when the Jazz picked him up in undrafted free agency, and he didn't he didn't let me down. Uh, next, I. I think I should talk about all the guys that didn't play. DJ Funderburk. I was so excited to watch DJ Funderburk again. He was at the last couple Jazz Summer Leagues. And maybe it's just his name, but I have the fondest memories of watching that guy play. But there's no DJ no DJ Funderburk. Uh, no Daryl Morsel. I liked him at Marquette when I was watching uh, Justin Lewis. But... No Daryl Morsel. I think his defense would be a nice addition to the team, but I can't really speak on that. And then no Johnny Juzang, who I have not been the highest on in the past. He just feels like a worse Elijah Hughes to me, personally. And I've watched a, my fair share of Elijah Hughes. But it would have been nice to see him play. He would have given this team a very needed helping of perimeter creation because we did not have that we were giving james palmer jr a lot of touches who they also say is only six five that's not right he is taller than six five sorry my thoughts are a little scattered on the jazz but they don't have 
dudes who are quite good enough for me to spend the time organizing the thoughts. Okay, next I would talk about, I mean, we've got to talk about Jared Butler, who's the dude who I think is the most potential to play real NBA minutes next year. He didn't, it's weird to talk about him. He really did impress me guarding small guards. He moved his feet well. Uh, he was in the right spots. Um, and it, His lack of wingspan normally hurts him, but not when he's guarding people who are his height or shorter. And that would be big time if he can guard small guards well because the Jazz have not had someone who can do that well since, like, primetime Dante Exum in 2015. So... Yeah, if he can if he can pick up that skill and make it legit, that'd be that'd be huge. It's it's still tough to play him with with Donovan because he's short. He's six three, maybe six three. I would not be shocked if he was six two. But and then on offense, his he didn't create separation, which really does hurt. But he can shoot the rock like a he can really shoot the rock. Uh he, he likes, we gave him a lot of on-ball reps, which makes sense. We're trying to see what he can do as, a, as an offensive player. I didn't love the on-ball stuff. He was okay in the pick and roll. But when he's just catching and shooting, he has money. Like he, I, I trust that shot. It is pure. It is clean looking. But I'm a little bit worried about the high-end upside because his handle is really good but he doesn't create the space that I thought it could potentially create when I was, I think I had him around 25, 26, coming out of college. Because I was buying that the handle would consistently create space, but it wasn't against these summer league dudes. Like Sometimes it was Kennedy Chandler, who's a good defender. He's a really good guard defender, especially against guys who aren't huge. But he just wasn't, he wasn't making anything, Butler. Uh... Who else is there to talk about? Xavier Sneed, good name, very good name. The Jazz have a lot of really solid, very solid names. I, I'm just looking at the list right here. Kobe Coburn, good name. Taco Fall, good name. DJ Funderburk, excellent name. I have not heard a better one in a very long time. But then even like some of the less insane ones, Caleb Holmesley is solid. That's a strong-sounding name. Daryl Morsel. Vic Law, Borisa Samanich, ooh. And then you got Sneed, Usher, and Jonathan. I think the Jazz win the name game if that if that was a competition. Okay, yes, back to back to Sneed. He I wasn't sold on him before Summer League, but he did his job here. He got he's got a clean looking jump shot, a really good arc on it. He made his first couple in that last game. I think it's the only one that he played. But it was it was well maybe he played the first one as well. He just didn't play the second. Uh, but it was it was clean looking. Uh he's active on defense. That six five I think is maybe more legitimate than Jonathan's and, and Palmer's. But and it did kind of hinder who he could guard. Sometimes they just shot over him. But he was active, he used his hands well. I would not be shocked to see him take a, a third-string role as just an energy, maybe hit a three, maybe play some defense kind of guy. 
I am more okay now that he has that two-way slot. I would give it to someone else. Like, I think Jonathan is the better prospect. And younger, too. Two years younger is kind of huge. But, yeah, I, I like Snead. Uh, and his warm-up dunks were very entertaining. The Jazz warm-up dunks were better than any of the other teams. With Snead and Palmer was jamming and Miller jams and Kofi jams. Very fun to watch the warm-up dunks. Uh, who else impressed me? I think we got to talk about Taco Fall. I don't have a ton of thoughts on him basketball-wise, but I just have some thoughts on his reputation in the basketball community. I get kind of an icky feeling when everyone's chanting, we want Taco, we want Taco, which I think it comes from a good place, but it treats him less as a basketball player and more as like a circus attraction, which is just not the vibes that I that we should be getting because they're obviously not cheering for him as a basketball player because he's not, he's not good at basketball, which is too bad. I want him to succeed. He seems like a good dude off the court, um, but he's very uncoordinated, doesn't use his size well. Yeah, he's, they're, they're cheering for him because he's 7'6", because they, they haven't seen anything like it before. And it just feels weird. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking about this way too hard, but that is my opinion on the Salt Lake City chanting for Taco because I want to see Kofi Coburn and Bruno Caboclo because I think they have a chance to play for us. I'm not just cheering for them because they're seven foot a billion or whatever. But yeah, time to talk about, we are going to talk about Bruno. We are going to talk about Bruno Caboclo. He is no longer two years away from being two years away. I don't know if he fits on the Jazz. I would like an upside swing at our center position. That might be Walker Kessler. I'm not sold on Walker Kessler. But he looks like an NBA player. His arms are bizarre to look at. They are some of the longest arms I have ever seen. And I think he put his shooting sleeve further down on his arm than than any other player I've seen. And I think that does make his arm look longer, which is a nice little trick because it, it did trick me. Uh, but yeah, he looked better than everyone else. Than, not everyone else. That is, that is hyperbole. He looked, <laughs> he looked better than a lot of the other centers he was being put against, which makes sense. He's been playing in the NBA since 2014. But, yeah, he uses his length well. The shot is ugly, 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 but it kind of goes in. Uh, yeah, they just couldn't stop him in the paint. Once he got two solid feet in the paint, you knew Bruno Caboclo was going to score. So, yeah, we have talked about talked about Bruno. Okay, <laughs> Kofi, Kofi Coburn. Wouldn't be shocked if he got a Jazz roster spot. He wasn't playing against Chet. He looked really good. Uh, he, his passing surprised me. He was a bit of a post hub in a way that I didn't expect. But he was hitting dudes like once they doubled, like right in the right in the bread basket. And I mean that won't be how he's used in the NBA. 
could be used as more of a role man, and he didn't wow me as a role man, but I don't know, there's some just something to keep your eyes on. His pick and roll defense I thought was solid when he was dropping. And of course he is just absolutely ginormous, which is a great trait for centers to have that sometimes gets overlooked. That was one problem with Rudy Gobert. It really hurts me to say problems with Rudy Gobert, but he could not punish smaller dudes in the paint. That is why we lost a lot of those series, because he couldn't take advantage of the small ball on offense. Kofi Coburn will be able, if they put uh, Patum on him, Nicholas Patum, he is going to score. I'm pretty confident in that. So I would like to give him some center looks, like probably start, start Walker Kessler. I think he's a little bit better. And then Azabuki, second string if he's healthy, but I would not be shocked if he's not at the start of the year. But then I'd give it to to Coburn, which is it's nice to find something like that. And then the rest of the dudes, I like them. They played hard for the most part, but they didn't strike me as NBA players. I, I, wish, them, I wish them the best because once a jazz man, always a jazz man. But this was not, not the group. I, I can't wait to watch... Leandro Balmero, got to say it like that, and, and Walker Kessler because it's hard to project a lot of NBA playing time out of, out of these dudes. And that is it for my SLC 2022 Summer League thoughts. Uh, let me know what you think. Some of these takes may be, I don't know, a little expired. Uh, just because of the Las Vegas Summer League and all that. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I bet I got a little incoherent by the end. Uh, and next time, I have a very exciting guest. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. You guys are going to be very into it. So I'll try to get that out. Get that out pretty quick. Once I, we're recording on Friday. So yeah. Be very excited, and without further ado, we will go uh, to the Grant Nielsen Variety Hour. Welcome, everyone, to the Grant Nielsen Variety Hour, second edition. Uh, my first, first one with a guest, so everyone say hello to Madeline Jenna John. Hi. <laughs> Okay, so anything anything you want to tell the viewers before we get started on our very special topic? Um, well, I feel like I'm bad at talking about myself, but I know Grant from school, and um, mm. yes, that's very interesting. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll. I'll, I'll out a, a twitter poll afterwards is madeline bad at talking about herself we'll see we'll see what the people say uh one thing you should know about her is that she did give me the name suggestion of the dunker bunker mm-hmm. and i'm very very happy with that name uh thank you yeah it rolls it rolls off the tongue and well 
whenever I tell people the name of my podcast, they laugh. Uh, okay. so I, th- I think that means it's memorable. A lot of these podcast names, not, no offense to anyone I may invite on as a guest later on. They suck. Uh, they're just, they just say like the name of a, a basketball term and they're like, oh, the, the pick and roll NBA podcast. Like, not, that's not, yeah. that, that doesn't fit the vibe. And I, I heard some of the suggestions you were getting for, for this one. <laughs> I, such a good thing you didn't you to, didn't go to with those. all of my listeners i loved every one of your suggestions saying no to them was the hardest thing i have ever done uh um but we have we have this name and you have madeline to thank for it so yeah everyone better, everyone better say thank me. you I'll, I'll give you i'll give you a second to say thank you and you better be saying it right now yep perfect okay <laughs> uh I say we we get into things. Madeline, what are we talking about today? All right. Today we're talking about Minions. Minions? Uh, Rise minions of Gru. 2, Rise of Gru. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we did see it opening night, of course. Mm-hmm. Only well, way to see it. The the premiere. Yeah. The night before opening night. Yeah. I mean, this was like before people were even going in mm-hmm. wearing suits and stuff. We were... We, we're, we started we're ahead it. Of the curve. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. We saw so, on the big, like the fancy theater. It, it was very, very fancy. And it was actually a pretty good turnout for Minions 2 Rise of Gru. I don't yeah. know what I was expecting, but good job, everybody. Utah mm-hmm. represent. Um, so, well, there were lots of interesting events going on while we were going to see this movie first is probably how funny we are we brought Mm -hmm. two bananas to use as guns yes (laughs) Uh, and trust me trust me it was funny Uh, we have pictures and (laughs) funny pictures too (laughs) Uh, uh, they're at the theater we went to they had a minions foosball table, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if you guys have seen this movie and I mean, you're all going to see it after this. Tell me, did, did any other theater have this foosball table? How special am I? <laughs> uh, because it felt really cool and it felt like more movies should do stuff like that. Yeah. Except like, it was like broken. Yeah. We had it- to, like, like malfunctioned. Pick it up and kind of shake it around sometimes. Really yeah. easy to pick up though, because <laughs> I'm really big, really strong. Um. So, what other there? Then once we got to the theater, in our minions color coordinated yes get up. Mm-hmm. There were two types of people. The first type was the middle aged man behind us laughing at every single thing that was said he was having the greatest time of his life and he made me have a better time as well and then the second type of people we really we don't like to talk about them so i'm too mad to even get into it so i'll let madeline okay well 
Okay, to be honest, I feel like I was so immersed in the movie that I didn't really, like, notice the people around us. But since Grant doesn't want to get into it, I'll just say the people next to Grant, like, didn't laugh the entire time, which is really lame. Gosh. Like, imagine living the heck? so sad that you don't laugh at freaking minions yeah. and their butts. Like, <laughs> straight up, what are, what are you coming to this movie to do? You're yeah. coming, like, the premiere. Mm-hmm. What what are you expecting? I don't know. Maybe, I, I, I feel sorry maybe, for them. Maybe they're listening right now, and if they are, stop. We hate you. I don't like you. Um, okay, so that's everything before the movie and so let's get into our actual review we have some pros and cons i think the first pro we need to talk about is the soundtrack yes soundtrack goes freaking hard let Mm -hmm. me pull up the soundtrack really quick actually i'll pull it up too they have lots of like hip people on it that's that's what struck me. Wait, what just happened? Huh. Okay, I had some technical difficulties there, so I don't know what you just said. Oh, I just um, said there were lots of hip people on it. Oh, I agree 100%. I don't know. Okay, I can't pull up Spotify. <gasps> oh my gosh. Doing this. Did you just have the same problem? No, but <laughs> they have this really hip person. Who is it? Caroline Polachek. She has like, I don't I don't know like, who that is, but like, she's really underground. Huh? Trust what, me. What song? Did, what song is she sing on the on the soundtrack? Um, bang bang. Oh yeah, great song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yes, good soundtrack. The first pro that is throughout the entire movie. It goes so hard. Mm-hmm. All right, you want to take take the next one? Sure. Okay. So little Gru was mm-hmm. very funny. His voice, his I thought his outfit was cool because he looks kind of like also hip. He's kinda, an aesthetic. Yeah, as, as all the cool kids say. Like he would like go to art museums and mm-hmm. vape. You, you, was he, he, he? If he wasn't wearing Doc Martens, he was wearing something similar. Yeah, black this boots is, with like a heel. Yeah. Uh huh. And a scarf, and he's like eight. Yeah, he's ahead of his time. Especially like mm-hmm. this was seventy six. The movie when it was yeah, seven. It was. Oof. Sheesh. Yeah, <laughs> little Gru goes hard. He is safe in. Liked him. His name is safe in the Dunker Bunker. Yes. Uh. And then, I mean, the third, the movie is really funny. Obviously. I, yeah, I Funniest laughed a movie lot. Of the year, I would say. At yeah. least that review would also, yeah, we saw the review. The mm-hmm. funniest movie of the year is what they said in Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah. My parents Perfect. were like, why are you going to go see Minions? Like, isn't that a movie for little kids? And then I told them it's the funniest movie of the year. And that I mean, shut them up, I bet. Yeah. Good. <laughs> um,. <laughs> Okay, really, it was artsier than I expected as well. Yeah, like the intro. The intro goes so hard. It was hard. really good. They did, it, 
I'm not not to say that it doesn't fit because it fit, but uh, I wouldn't say I would say it's different than all the other Despicable Me franchise movies. Like they they did yeah. some interesting things with the the intro and the kung fu teaching scene. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> That's what I really like. No, no, no. It's contemplated. <laughs> and it's good that you didn't get into it. Because this is a spoiler free review. Up to this point, I'd say pretty spoiler free, right? Yeah. 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 So good job. Um <laughs> and then the last pro, not the last pro is putting it wrong. This movie is full of pros. Uh the last one I'm gonna talk about is one character in particular mm-hmm. uh so i don't know how to actually talk about him so he's one like this one dude's uncle and he's carrying this minion on his motorcycle like he saves the minion and they're going across the across the country on his motorcycle and he's just nice and hip yeah like he just like picked up the minion and gave him the special Duh, stone. Oh, hey, hey. oh oh he did Crap. he gave the minion something yeah, just no questions asked. He just did it. I'm now, sorry. Yeah, we need more of that uncle in the world. Yeah. Which leads me into my cons of this movie. Mm-hmm. Starting with, there was not enough of the uncle. He was in the movie for like a scene. Yeah. And I don't know. I think there maybe it's the movie's like an hour thirty, like right mm-hmm. on the right on the line, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's nothing stopping them from going longer. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he could have like helped grew and. Mm-hmm. They got a... my hopes up just to knock him down. Yeah. He could be that. like like a godfather to grew's kids. Like, in a exactly couple what I was in in the future movies. Mm-hmm. They should have done that. They should have. All right. Make me alas. really mad. Okay, and then you want to talk about the next one? Yeah, so the villain screen time, like, I looked at the the cast, like, months before, and it had all these people, like, Svengeance and Jean-Claude and, like... Jean-Claude. Ooh, that's awkward. That's well, embarrassing. I thought it was, like, Jean. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, <laughs> I speak French. Oh, man. <laughs> but, like... I thought they were going to do something with, like, jeans, like, denim. <laughs> so I just had it in my mind like that the whole time. Oh, but I guess boy. not. Yeah. But they even did, if they go Jean-Claude, like, they can, they can go two routes. They can go Jean-Claude, and he's wearing denim. Or they can go Jean-Claude, and he's got to be overwhelmingly French. It's got to be, like, aggressive. And he says, like, okay. three things the entire movie. You yeah. You can't tell that he's overwhelmingly French. And same with this vengeance. Like, you couldn't really tell he was Swedish. Mm-hmm. It, that's, like, his, literally his entire character. Yeah. Like, at least hmm. John claude has the the lobster arms. Vengeance is... What does he, he even need... do? He, like, roller skates or something? Screw that. Yeah. He needs, like, an Ikea bag on him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There we I, go. There's some missed opportunities there. And yes. I don't know. Like, give him, give him Disney Plus series. Flush out, flush out their characters. Yeah. 
I think I'd watch that. Yeah, like the the nun could do some good social commentary. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, what's her? What's the nun's name? I feel like it's like nunchucks or something. Oh yeah, it's nunchucks. And you didn't like her voice, right? Yeah, she didn't. I would rather be more chill. Like, okay. like the, the juxtaposition, not juxtaposition, but the irony of this chill nun, Robin Banks, but then she's like yeah. a crazy nun, Robin Banks, and that's that's nothing. Like, we have crazy people, Robin Banks, all the time. Yeah. Like, all the time. Like all the time. I, it's literally me. <laughs> so, yeah, the villains weren't super fleshed out apart from, like, the main two. And I, I, I thought those were the two least interesting on paper, which is too bad. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then back to the soundtrack for the final con. It hurts me to say, but it wasn't quite perfect. There was yeah. one, We looked at the soundtrack before we went to the movie and we saw a song from Phoebe Bridgers. And we we are we're on the Bridgers bandwagon. Yeah, we're super hip. Mm-hmm. And super, we were so excited hip. to hear this song. Yeah. But, like, either they lied and it's not in the movie, or they put it at the very end of the credits. And I'm embarrassed to say we didn't stay to the very end. Yeah. So that was disappointing. But they could have done something with, like, a sad Phoebe Bridger song with, like, mm-hmm. like Otto dying in the desert almost, or... Yeah, there, there, there were plenty of tear joke, tear jerking moments in this movie. Yeah. They could have done something. Yeah, I okay. I remembered another con that oh. that we talked about. Oh boy! But the oh, oh yeah, the yeah, yeah. redhead. Oh, okay. Misrepresentation. So, for everyone listening, we are two gingers, and <laughs> we <laughs> don't get a lot of good ginger representation in media. Uh, And I thought, I I hoped against hope that this movie would change that. It seemed like it had everything going for it. So it seemed natural to assume that they have cool gingers as well, right? Yeah. But the the one they had, unless I'm forgetting someone, is this bratty little kid who, I don't know, I just kind of wanted to sock him in the head. I don't know. He was annoying. Yeah. Obnoxious. We're like a ginger minion. Straight up. They all those like some of them have those little black hairs. Imagine yeah. one has like some red hairs and we go through his persecution uh, for being different. Yeah. Great it's twenty twenty two. We need representation. <laughs> That's I, I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Hollywood is literally bigoted. I, yeah. I said what I said. Um <laughs> So yeah, those were the pros and cons. Then I have one more thing to add, but before we do, let's, let's give it a like a number rating. Let's say out of ten, how how hmm. many bananas out of ten you given Minions to? Well, well, and remember, I did I did say bananas, which isn't the same as stars. I'll I'll let you I'll let you make the distinction, but there okay. is a, there is a distinction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like it's like a math equation that I'm trying to figure out. Um, it is It is 10 bananas out of 10. Yes, yes. It I mean, was, even though it could be improved, like, for what I loved it, is, it. Yeah, for what it is trying to be, it's 10 bananas. Yeah. Like, 
out of stars, maybe it'd be lower because it's not the perfect movie, but I don't know, made me laugh. It entertained me. Awesome. It, it gets it gets all the bananas. Yes. Boom. But it did raise some questions. <laughs> One thing that I've been wondering for a very long time is the biology of minions. And I took AP biology, so I should we, know this. We took it together. And actually. I got a better score on the AP test, but we both passed (laughs) Um, let it be known so the we never there are no female minions that Mm -hmm. hasn't been changed in minions 2 and it makes and it makes you wonder where are minions coming from that's that's what i wonder every time i watch a watch a minions movie that's all you think about mm-hmm. he's just so, trying to do a really roundabout way of saying reproduction but <laughs> that is true yes uh and my prevailing theory at the moment is minions do not reproduce and they are just immortal because i we see the minions come to pass at the start of the first one Mm-hmm. I think those are the same minions we continue to see throughout the series. So, and immortal beings have no need to reproduce. Yeah. So, minions do not reproduce? Question mark? I yeah. Think, I think that's what we're going with. Yeah, I would agree. But, this is where the questions start to arise. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert for everyone planning to see this movie, at the end, when one of the minions goes chicken mode, it lays an egg. <laughs> and, what, and what comes out of that egg? A baby minion. Which I think the first so, baby minion we've seen? I That's from what I remember. Mm-hmm. So is it like, is it a girl minion? Because it had an egg? I, I feel like all the minions so far have gotten male traditionally male names yeah but who's naming the minions like humans yeah maybe they're just like misunderstood i'm pretty sure like oh continue with your thought continue with that with your thought well i don't really have much more okay (laughs) no good good thought uh yeah (laughs) It's misunderstood deep. minions who may or may not reproduce. They'll get into it on, I don't know, some Disney Plus, like, okay, TV show idea. It's like, okay. well, documentary, not TV show. They treat okay. it like a normal documentary, right? Like, mm. oh, medicine, science. But they're figuring out the biology of minions. Like, what, how do these beings work? Yeah. Oh my gosh. They should, they should totally do a Minions documentary. Like, <laughs> okay, great idea. This is great. Blew my mind. <laughs> but like, just like take it so seriously and like get like real doctors and scientists to like I, weigh in. Okay, I, there's, 
I'll explain it to you, not to my listeners, because they know what I'm talking about. It's like a sports thing. So okay. uh, <laughs> there's like this, this pervade, like this prominent sports documentary series is called 30 for 30, where they go over crazy sports events throughout history and they get all these experts. But this one group has made like fake 30 for 30. So they get these same, the same experts, but they have them talk about fictional oh. sports events. Okay. Like, do you know the Rocky movies? Have do that? Does that ring a bell? Just is, say yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm just. I have like. Is that the thing that everyone like? Never mind. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Uh, Keep going. So, and they they talk about Rocky Four with all of these experts going over all the the crazy things happening, but they treat it so seriously that you're just enthralled. Okay. So. That's what that we need to do. With with minions, straight yeah. up. Yeah. How many and how many doctors do you know? Well there's a bunch in my ward. Perfect. Are they or cool I, or are they um a bunch of squares? No, I actually like them. Let's go. I just realized that your listeners might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh. Inside in information. In yeah, my neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Awesome. We'll we'll get on that and we'll keep you guys updated on the the production of uh Minion Anatomy. Yes. It's like great with Anatomy, diagrams but with minions. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's everything we have to talk about. Woo. Uh, so, go see the movie before mm-hmm. before we leave. Uh, Madeline, give us your if you if you want to share your socials. Now's your time. You'll get an influx of really just awesome followers right away. Well, okay. Uh, my Instagram. If you want to follow for lots of great content, is Madeline. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing this. <laughs> this is what all the professional podcasts do. When they get a guest on, they let them, they let them share where they can find their work. And I'm a professional podcast, so okay, I'll stop interrupting you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's Madeline. Okay, M A D E L I N E dot S O L E I. That's my Instagram. Awesome. And if you're not weird looking. <laughs> I will let you follow me. <laughs> and then maybe next time you hop on the podcast, we'll take a mm-hmm. screenshot right now of how many followers you have. And next time you hop on, tell okay. us how many you have right then. And I'll know if I need to give my listeners a stern talking to. Uh, okay. Because last episode I had 41 listeners. So you should get hmm. 41 follows. I better. You better. All and right. if they, they DM anything weird, I, I will publicly call them out. Yeah, it's going to be public info. Ooh, so gonna, watch out. going to be juicy. All right. So I think that we is good? everything. Goodbye. Okay. Uh, and see you in the Dunker Bunker. Uh, adios. See ya.